I'm delighted to bring you the first in what I hope will be a series of Where Are They Now? And for our first guest, we've got a cracker. Uh, his name is a tabloid headlighter's, head writer's dream, even. Uh, it's an honour to bring him to you. Uh, Chris Honour. Chris, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, I'm enjoying life and um, everything that Bristol uh, is giving me at the moment in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, it's all very, uh, well, it's all very frustrating for everyone out there, isn't it? But you're all trying to make the most of it. And I, you know, I'm lucky the most and um, working hard. And uh, that's, that's, that's what keeps me motivated at the moment. Yeah, I know you're a, well, you were a Bristol boy before you came to Airdrie. So is that, are you back in that part of the world now? I am, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm probably about 12, 12 miles from where I was brought up, um, right in the city centre or, or very close to the city centre of Bristol. Um, it's a great city to live in. Um, I love my time in Glasgow, obviously, and um, I make a lot of comparisons between the two cities. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to be uh, have everything on your doorstep. It's a nice walk. I've gotten surrounded by parks, which is great. And um, it's only a short, a short journey over the uh, suspension bridge out to the countryside where, um, most of my exercise takes place and I go cycling with uh, a group of close friends and ex- ex-professional sportsmen. Good. Uh, what are you up to these days? I mean, you, well, you came to my attention because on Facebook there was suddenly Chris on our properties. So I take it that's your, your business. Yeah, we have um, we started building up a, a, a property business. I, when I, I first started, uh, when I first left uh, Airdrie and all those years ago, I I. I I, I, I bought two petrol stations um, in, in, in Bath and off the back of that we, we looked at pensions and all that kind of stuff and, and um, we went into a bit of property and that kind of evolved from there on in um, and uh, it was a, a gradual evolution of buying this odd property at, at auction as you see on TV and it just evolved and grew and grew and now we're a student property company, we're quite, quite big in Cheltenham um, we supply sort of uh, um, about a hundred sort of student houses there, and um, we've got um, quite a few in Bristol as well. Okay. And I know that you also do a bit of radio work, so the podcast interview will be no bother for you. But how did that come about? You do a bit of commentary on on football down there? Yeah, I thoroughly enjoy that. Um, it's, it's, it's been brilliant because I've been able to look forward to my weekends like most supporters do. It was the club that I grew up watching, and and sparked my interest in football I, I get to um sit there and commentate on my favorite team and sometimes uh, i have to hold my breath when i want to scream and shout but it, it's been absolutely brilliant through lockdown because um, i still have my weekends to look forward to and i feel so sorry for other supporters up and down the country at the moment who don't get that saturday football fix um I kind of fell into it. I was doing an interview like I am with you um, about uh, yesteryear and, a, and a, a Little Woods Cup run in the late 90s. Oh, sorry, the late 80s, early 90s. And um, one of the uh, commentators or one of the interviewees just asked me if I, I'd like to come on the radio show. And it grew from maybe once a month to twice a month. And then they said, you, you've actually done a few games for us. So I share it with a, another um ex-player ex we have a great time um a load of banter we have to do the phone in after we have all kinds of um conversations going on in the background and um we're not quite uh mark lawrenson or or uh, robbie savage or anything like that but we've had some some roaring discussions on the radio and it's been quite entertaining yeah you'll be much better than those two i'm sure oh, <laughs> uh, i'll tell you what it's really hard I, the first few times i i did it i was exhausted yeah. I mean, it, 
it's really hard sometimes to speak without saying the same thing over and over again. And um, the next time I went in, I went into a load of notes and I had a I had my <laughs> my backdrop of, of things to say when when the, the game went quiet. And um, one 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 of the focal points last year was when um, we had a nine minute delay due to two separate injuries and you, you had to just randomly talk about the weather and all that kind of stuff and it, you felt as if you were boring the, the people that were listening so you really do have a little you need a little bit of material in the background just to help you out at times yeah good uh, and you've mentioned there so it's so city for you you've got the choice between city and rovers but i think for you it wasn't much of a choice down to family is that correct oh uh, my granddad um lived in the street directly behind the, the football ground behind Ashton Gate. Um, the city is divided by a river and uh, the north of the city is Rovers and the south of the city is um, City. And uh, the two never usually cross over, but Bristol City is by, by far the bigger at the two clubs. Um, and for the last few years with Rovers sort of lack of success and them spiraling spiring out of control and ending up in the conference, um, we don't hear a lot of the Rovers fans at all. Um, they're, they're beginning to pipe up a little bit more, but um, yeah, long gone are the days when both the clubs were, were promoted in the same season. Um, like when I was there in the, the late 80s, um, that was a fabulous year. You couldn't walk down the street without being pestered about football. It was like the, the old Glasgow rivalry. Everyone was into football and it was amazing. Now now it's just one side of the city that sh- seems to be shouting and talking football and uh, the Rovers fans are still keeping their heads down, which is great. <laughs> uh, so you've taken a path from it being your boyhood club to then playing for them. So... How did that go? Um, I think I joined him really young. It was like a Tuesday and a Thursday evening from about eight years of age. Um, at, you know, it was just a, a very casual um, a scout came up to me playing on a local playing field and asked me, having played for sort of the, the county or the re- representative teams of Bristol, I was invited to um, come in on a, a Tuesday and a Thursday night. It wasn't as... Um, as prestigious as it is now where they've got these amazing academies and they're treated like um, princes at a really early age. We trained on the car park at Ashton Gate and uh, if you if you kick the ball too far or over the net, it ended up in a little stream and a brook and you had to climb underneath the, the fence to get your ball back. But it was that was my first introduction to um, professional football. Um, and by the time I was sort of 14, I was playing, um, playing in the under 16s by the time I was 15, I was in the reserves. I was I remember playing rugby um, for the school one day and, play, and being a sub in the afternoon for the reserves. So I was I was sort of pushed forward really quickly and made my first team debut when I was 17. So it all happened really, really quickly. Um, the club at the time were, were strapped for cash. They didn't have a lot of money. So um, they put a huge uh, reliance on the, the young blood coming through, and especially the local land. And what was the debut like? It must have been a proud moment for the for the family. Uh, can you remember it well? I do. It was Darlington away on a on a. <laughs> my dad's a sales rep, and he, he used to travel the country um, at the best of times. He was doing you know thousands of miles a month, and um, I think Darlington's about three and a half. Uh, so sorry, about three hundred and fifty miles from Bristol, and um, they couldn't have picked a, a further fixture away. But my dad, you know, quite happily drove all the way up to done to watch my first game I don't remember a lot about it to be honest but um, it was just nice to get uh, my first game under my belt towards the end, the end of one season when there wasn't a lot at stake just to see how good I was and whether I could step up to that standard um, 
and then probably spend the rest of the summer working on um, on my aspirations and my and my and, and all the issues that you need to sort of work on to 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 be a regular. Um, but it was nice to get your first game, and um, I, it, it seems a million miles away now. But uh, uh, it, you know, it's always nice to say that you played for your boy, boy, uh, boyhood club. And is it fair to say you're a bit in and out? So did you have some coaches that liked you and, and some that didn't? Is that a, a fair assessment? I had an amazing manager, Terry Cooper, who was he had me from, as I said, a 14-year-old. And uh, and he, he was always on about playing for the full-backs union. He said, you know, you join my full-backs union and, you, you know, this is what you need to do as a right-back. You need to sort of get stuck in. You need to be quite physical you need to win the personal battles and he absolutely loved me and he was a kind of hero to my a hero of mine knowing that he was so talented himself as a left back uh, who played in world cups and um, i couldn't do enough for him i absolutely adored him um took his advice on, on took all took his advice on um but obviously things don't always um Continue, and he gave me obviously my first uh, first few games, and he lost his job. Um, he just brought Joe Jordan in as a, a sort of player assistant, and then Joe took over. and And Joe was a very different character, and um, I found it a little bit harder to cope under Joe. Joe was a, a it's very hard to say this a, a dour Scott in the sense that he was very um, very authoritarian. He was very strict. He, very rarely allowed um, you to enjoy yourself on the training pitch, whereas I was always full of banter and giggles and, you know, enjoyed what I did. But for Joe, that wasn't that wasn't part of um, his makeup. And he, he probably looked at Terry Cooper's team and thought, do you know what, if I get these guys to knuckle down and get an extra 10% from them, we'll get, I can get this team promoted, which he did. Um, and we were we were a really good side under Joe, and uh, I probably played more games for Joe than I did Terry. But there were times that Joe's man management of me was wasn't necessarily the best for for me as an individual. And um, although I signed a three year contract, um, we didn't always see eye to eye, and I was probably just a stroppy little teenager at times. And you had a couple of spells out on loan at that point. Is that correct? No, I'd already gone out on loan um, under Terry Cooper. Terry was brilliant. He, he wouldn't let me sit in the reserves for long because um, he didn't think the reserve football was gaining me any any real uh, benefits. So I went out to Hereford when they were in the football league and um, Torquay when they were in the football league as well. Jesus, there's a there's a pattern here. Every team I seem to uh, play for, they get relegated. Um, and um, Swansea as well. I think they're still in the football league. But um, yeah, I was very lucky. I I managed to play around um, the South West and Wales, just picking up experience as a young sort of 18 19 year old fan playing at a decent level which was above reserve standard right, so you're bristol born and bred you have a bad experience with a dirt scott and then you end up coming to entry so how on earth did that come about well my ambition was to see the back of joe to be honest uh, i was on a three-year contract and i thought joe was making great great um progress as a manager there was lots of him, lots of talk of him leaving. And I thought, well, I'm sat here on a three-year deal. I'm not going anywhere. He's going to leave soon. And if I sit this out, the next manager will see see what I'm, I'm capable of doing and come to their senses and I'm going to get a game. So 
Jim left and went to Hart, uh, which I, I would imagine most fans will remember. And um, Jimmy Lunsden took over, who was a, a former Celtic player and his assistant at the time. And I loved Jimmy. Jimmy was like another Terry Cooper to me. He was just full of fun. He seemed to get the best out of me. Um, but he went on this mad, crazy run where they didn't lose a game for the first six months. And I couldn't break in the team. And I was the official pie tester. I travelled all around the country as either the, either the reserve, either the substitute that didn't get on, or the or the person that used to sit in the sit in the crowd and watch the game as the the second sub. Uh, I got increasingly frustrated because I couldn't break into this team. And at the end of one season, um, Terry Cooper again came back in for me at Birmingham, and that seems to be taking forever to happen. And and um, Jimmy Lumsden knew um, Alec McDonald from his days up in Glasgow as kids growing up. And he said, why don't you just go up to Airdrie and have a little chat with them? And uh, I'd like to say the rest is history, but I must have chosen a weekend when it was the sunniest weekend in Glasgow history. And um, I thought that was I thought that was what Scotland was going to be like for the next three years because uh, it was a fabulous weekend. I remember playing somewhere at, at the bottom of the, the Campsie Mountains in a, on a training ground against someone. I loved every moment of it and um, uh, considered moving up, which was, which was quite interesting. Uh, and, and you did. So I know that you, did this, you could have waited to hear what was going to come from Birmingham or push the button and, and sign the deal at Airdrie. So what, what was it made you go ahead? It was, it was a real tough one because <laughs> Terry Cooper kept on ringing me saying, Chris, be patient, be patient. Birmingham's a big club. It's, it's bigger than Bristol City or it's on a par to Bristol City. Please be patient. The biggest problem was he didn't have the job yet. He still didn't have the job at Birmingham, um, although he was he was pretty much being linked with it in the papers. So I thought there's no harm in going up to Airdrie. And um, then in the first week of being up in Airdrie, um, I, I, Airdrie offered me a, a contract there. And it wasn't anywhere near what I was I was being paid at Bristol City. Um, so I rang Terry and said, Terry had now been given the job, and he said, you are my first player I'm going to buy. And this went kind of dragged on and dragged on. And all of a sudden I felt as if I had to make a decision. I just wanted to be playing. You know, the, the Scottish season was about to start. George Pete was chasing, chasing me to sign a contract that they, they, they had put underneath my nose. And I was put in a conundrum, really. And... I can still remember to the day, probably to the day I die, I was stood out outside DL's um, bakery shop on, on the high street in Airdrie in a te- little telephone box, ringing my wife to tell her that I was about to sign for Airdrie when um, she had just been contacted um, by Terry Cooper saying, whatever I do, don't sign for Airdrie because <laughs> the contract was now ready for me. By which stage I then broke the news to her that I'd, I'd, saw, I'd signed in George Pete's office, and she broke into tears. So um, it was. Uh, <laughs> do you know once you once you've made that decision, it's too late. You don't get a 14-day cooling off period. But that was that was that was the start of my time up in Airdrie, and I was determined to make it work. So first impressions then. Uh... Was it a bit of a culture shock? I mean, we joke, but I had a Tesco delivery last week and the daughter, the Edinburgh driver thought that I was speaking a different language from English to my daughter. So how, how did you cope with coming up 
old Broomfield, a bit of a different place from, from Ashton Gate. Um, the, the changing room, some big characters in there. What, what are your early memories of your time in Airdrie? Uh, it's, it's funny because your ear really changes quite quickly and adjusts really quickly to the sc- any accent you, you're in. And uh, apart from um, being in a nightclub or in a bar, which is really busy, you're surprised how much you lip read people. So the accent really didn't affect me. I, I mean, I, I'm all, it's quite funny. I'm really fond of the Scots and I've still got some really close friends. Even in, even when, when I, where I go on holiday in Spain, um, there's some Scots who are neighbors of ours and, we, you know, I do translate for other English people at times, but I, I really enjoy your company. I think you're great people. I think you, you especially, the, you know, I'm sorry, but the Glass regions especially are very, very friendly. Um, and, and, and as a, a lad from 400 miles away, you only want people to be as friendly as possible to you. And the Scots may be incredibly welcome. I remember one day walking into DL's Bakery and I, I was, I only went in for a bite to eat and a, a loaf of bread or whatever. I think I was in there for a good 30 minutes because everyone wanted to know my life story. And um, I think I was quite forthcoming because I think it was uh, they had to kick me out and gave me a brush to tidy up because it was about five o'clock by the time I left. Uh, so teammates, who, who were the big characters? Who who did you bond best with? Oh, we had a... Do you know what? It, it was one that... I've, I've been involved in a, a promotion team at Bristol City and... Any winning team is a happy dressing room. Um, but whilst I was at Bristol City, it was full of big characters, but loads of individuals who had huge egos. The first thing I, I, I experienced when I walked into the Airdrie dressing room was they were just such nice guys. I, I was shocked. They weren't, my, they weren't typical footballers at all. They were, they were the nicest group of lads I ever experienced until I, I came across another group who were very similar Forest Green Rovers late on in my career. Um, there was, I, I just felt as if I, I fitted in. I, I mean, Owen Coyle always had a lot to say. Um, I lived with Alan Lawrence um, for a year, which um, we had a great, uh, we had a great time. He was very kind to me. Evan Balfour was amazing. Kenny Black, um, Jimmy Boyle. Do you know what? I could go through the whole team, and I, I lived live with Andy Smith as well for a brief time. Um, I just, I just felt the Scots were so welcoming. It was just a fantastic dress room, and I just felt very privileged to be part of them. And um, you know, we had loads of Scots in our dress rooms back in England, and they were always accepted. Um, I think the the biggest compliment Jimmy Boyle ever p- paid me at once was by calling me his, his nickname for was English. And I said, "Why are you call me English?" He said, "Well, you're the only one I ever speak to, so that's your new nickname." And that was the best he could come up with. I mean. It was just great banter, you know. It was, it was a, a really fun dressing room to be in. And when my wife came up to join me, she was my girlfriend at the time. They made her equally welcome, and uh, we have we only have fond fond memories of the place. Was there much socialising? Did you have a chance to all go out together? I think we were out quite a lot. That you know, we were single lads. I was a young lad, so I was probably 20, 24, 25. Um, so yeah, we all had a great time. There was a there was a, a group of Glass regions and the group of Edinburgh boys. Uh, I lived um, underneath the um, the M8 um, on Finister Wharf mm-hmm. in Glasgow, so I was I, I was right in the hub of Glasgow and, and just loved my time. Um, 
Yeah, we, we, we saw a few nightclubs and we've gone quite well with some of the other players from some of the other clubs as well. Um, I can remember Ali McCoy trying to run me over one day as I crossed over outside a, a pub um, with my shop in one afternoon um, in, a, in a bright yellow Audi convertible. Um, we used to see all the Glasgow, Glasgow players out and they were just as friendly, to be fair. We, you know, we used to have a, a kicking match on a Saturday. You'd see them out on a Saturday evening and they were your best friends and buy you a drink at the bar. It was just a, a really, really unique experience being a player in Glasgow. And what about the gaffer? Alex McDonald, did you get on well with him? I thought he was a great guy. Absolutely lovely. Um, you know, genuine, honest, um, hardworking. Um, and the other players respected him. I mean, his history and his reputation as a, a Rangers player, um, didn't really touch me because I obviously I'm not Scottish and I didn't know about his um, his own playing career. But you could tell by the the respect that the other players had for him, um, like Walter Kidd, who was an absolute hero. You know, whilst I was at Airdrie, um, who was again an experienced player in the team. The amount of respect he had for Alec was was, was fantastic, and I could never knock him. He was he was always straight with me, even when things got nasty at the end. Um, you know, to be honest, I think he just walked away from the situation because he felt a little bit embarrassed about what was going on. And how did you find the standard of the football? Was it different to, to what you'd experienced before? Massively different. Massively different. I found it a real struggle. Um, I think, the, I don't know whether this was just the Airdrie team at the time. I think we were just such honest lads. We never wanted to leave anything off the pitch. We wanted to put everything, leave everything on the pitch during that 90 minutes. So what we did, we ran around probably too much rather than stand in, in, in a space to receive the ball and pass the ball. I was used to a, te- I was used to a slow build-up, a, a lovely pattern of play, pass the ball, open yourself up, um, and just keep the ball moving. It was high-tempo, at times high-chaos, football um i mean overall i i we overachieved possibly um but then i look at us uh, as a team and lots of those players went on and did huge things elsewhere so we were all good players i know that every single player in that team um had their own attributes i mean some of the best players we never even heard of again like david kirkwood i mean he was a fabulous footballer who we walked away from Airdrie again um, through George Pete. Um, but Alan Lawrence went on to, to other things after he left. Um, at Hearts, obviously, Owen Coyle went on to other things. Andy Smith went on to other things. You know, and you had lads who stayed at Airdrie for another five or six years. Um, so, yeah, some huge ability at the club. Um, just at times, the, the system that we played, which was such high energy, um, wasn't the easiest to play and I was used to playing a lot more football and I would have liked to have played a little bit more football had I had my way but it worked for Alec and it worked as a team well, Do you think that was just the entry or was that the, the Scottish Premier League at that time were, were all the teams 100 miles an hour? Um, I think we probably played at about 120 miles an hour <laughs> I think everyone else played at 100 miles an hour to be honest I, I we, we were just amazing we were I would say some of the athletes in our club were probably the best athletes in that league. I mean, Blackie and 
Evan Balfour. I mean, uh, you know, even Oni, you know, Owen Quill. Um, everyone could run. You know, then we were top athletes. Um, I think sometimes we, we forgot on a Saturday that we weren't just athletes, we needed to take the ball with us. You know, we didn't give ourselves an, enough credit for being better footballers. Um, and, and went and proved it elsewhere. Um, it was it was a hectic game, but you know when I used to, you know I'll go back to playing against Motherwell, one of the first games. You know we saw them as one of our sort of mid-table um, competitors in a derby match. That they had Davy Cooper, they had Phil O'Donnell, they had players that wanted to pass the ball, and they played good football. So you know although the tempo was high, they played some good stuff at times as well. And as you say, very successful season. Um... League Cup semi-final with the, the David Syme incident, so Rob there, um, but then make up for it straight away in the, the Scottish Cup, uh, take Hearts to a replay, a midweek night at Hamden under the lights, goes all the way to penalties after uh, the equaliser after Kenny Black's free kick, uh, and it, it comes to yourself to take the fourth penalty to give Adria a chance. Um, I've watched it again this week, so talk us through it. I mean, a very long run-up you gave yourself, but... Um, How's the feeling? You've got the balls on the spot. If you put it past, then not only are you going to the cup final, we're guaranteed European football the next season as well. Uh, high pressure moment. Colin, you just sort of relived it to me then. You made me tingle all over. Um, <laughs> honestly, it's 25 years plus and it feels like only yesterday. I, I can remember um, Big Jock had saved the, the previous penalty and it was my turn. And about five years previously, I'd been captain of um, Bristol City under-18s in a, in a tournament in France. And again, I'd, I'd gone fourth in the penalty um, shootout. And it was the final, and we had won this tournament for about four years on the trot, and I didn't want to be the first losing captain to lose this tournament in Paris. And I could remember everything I had done that day, and I had scored. So I was just trying to replicate that at Hamden that evening, and I was focusing on just doing exactly the same, trying to stay relaxed. I mean, I don't know if you remember me trying to juggle the ball on my, on my, on a, a sort of a, a, on my wrist, just trying to sort of think about something else. But my legs were going bandy. Um, they were, they, they were shaking um, in anticipation. And I, I, it was just one of those moments where you just hope your technique and your nerve holds. And, uh, <laughs> Luckily, um, it did because I wouldn't. I would have. Uh, I would have had to live with that for the rest of my life, especially the circumstances of um, who the manager was, who uh, in the of the Hearts team that we were playing against. Well, so you score the penalty, the keeper goes the right way, so you're right in the corner, it's a great penalty, and in fact, all four of the entry penalties were, were excellent. Um, what's, what's elation like after that? Just mobbed by, by the team, can, can you remember it? Well, I think half the team, and I remember Jimmy Sanderson, I, mean, I can only go by the, because it's, you're part of it, you don't remember it yourself, it's almost becomes vague um, because you're, you're in that little zone. But I remember Jimmy turning around and Jimmy Sanderson and someone else was jumping on Jock. And the next thing, Big Jock jumps on me and there was just a, a mass group of us. I mean, it was just, it was almost disbelief because it wasn't the prettiest game that night. I, I think it was a, a dour kind of draw um, come before the penalties. And the game, even on a Saturday, wasn't the best game at, at Hamden. Um, but we were confident we could beat that Hearts team. 
you know, they had some good players, but we felt we great, you know, we felt confident with we a force, a force side we could beat them. Um, and I think we thoroughly deserved it that night. And uh, you know, looking back, it it did it did guarantee us European football, um, which was a, a first in in, in Andrew's history. Uh, and again, that's a, another fantastic experience that all the players had that night. Um, but it was um, it was just an amazing experience. My dad had flown up. Um, he wasn't a great watcher of mine, actually. I think he got either too nervous or I got too nervous if he was there watching. But he flew up that night and we all had a, an amazing evening celebrating after and uh, he joined in the festivities. It, uh, and the... Well, you mentioned so. So Joe Jordan's on the bench for for Hearts. So was there any interaction with him, or did you just stay dignified and uh, oh, there's that guy you didn't play scored the the winner against you, or did did he see uh, him? Did he congratulate you? I can't really remember. It, it's it's funny. I, it, it's a real you know thirty years of memory you know lost, and I, I can't remember if I I even went up to him, but there were some smashing lads in that heart team as well. Hearts team as well. You know, I, I, I mentioned the, the Glasgow boys um, that we played against. We were we were as close to those heart, Hearts boys as we were the, the Glaswegian lads we played against. You know, uh, little John Robertson and Scott Crabbe, and you, you play against each other four times a season. You get to know them personally as well. You know, when you're whispering nasty things in their ear at corner or or going into a 50-50 tackle. You see them a lot, so you, you kind of feel feel for them. But, you know, all I can remember is just shaking everyone's hand and then having a, an amazing celebration that evening. And uh, I just feel very privileged to be part of that that great Airdrie team. And I reached out to some of your ex-teammates, uh, and one of them has asked me to question, was it difficult to play football at such a high level with your shorts so high? <laughs> <laughs> Was that was that was that what they asked one of our one of our own players asked that's, me? Yeah, that's what one of your teammates asked me to ask you. Can you can you uh, guess who? Uh, ben Lawrence, I would imagine. It was uh, it was it was Big Evan, but he did oh, he did say it didn't stop you being a heartthrob. Uh, and when you you appeared kind of back within the Airdrie supporters um, knowledge last year because you did a, a little bit of the daily record before we played Hearts and I think it was 20 years on from the or 25 years on from the, the, the semi-final uh, and it was was very notable that uh, and amongst the, the female supporters who watched here in the 90s that, uh, that there's a, a place in their hearts for, for you so uh, I'm not sure of you and Big Evan, who was the biggest heartthrob, um, but certainly when, when your names come up, there's a there's a lot of uh, f- there's a lot of fawning female fans. Well, just just make sure when you see Ev again that just remind him I had longer legs than him. That's what it, that's what it was. Nothing to do with the short, <laughs> but um, you know on on Evan's basis on, on that story, he had a fabulous voice. I can remember rooming with Ev. He came to my wedding and he was one he, again one of the nicest boys you ever meet, and he's just the. I mean, the guy was the guy was semi-professional as well. He was trying to do two jobs at once, and he was a lovely guy. I mean, he could play the piano, um, he could sing. I mean, the guy asking to do a Frank Sinatra number anytime, and I'm sure he'd be up the up the front singing in front of everyone. He sang at my wedding. He was amazing. Yeah, well, he's he's also said in the message that he's delighted to call you a friend. So there's obviously a bit of a bromance between you. Uh, yeah. Any other happy memories from from Airdrie's? Particularly that first season, you did so well. Uh, I mean, anything, any football memories that are particularly strong? Um, 
we've not even I, mentioned the cup final. I mean, you go into playing a national cup final, which is you would never I, have envisaged coming up the road. I, it, that was incredible. I mean, my only my only slight regret about the, the cup final was it was a, a refurbished Hamden, and I, I mean, you might be able to tell me otherwise, but I can't remember how many were in the crowd that day. But it was, there was a lot of scaffold protecting the, the terracing. Um, Obviously, the Airdrie and the uncovered end at one end, and the Rangers fans were at the other end. Um, it all seems like a little bit of a dream. It kind of passed me by. I mean, I had the privilege of playing at um, Wembley um, about 10 years later, and it happened again. I don't know whether my nerves got the best of me, um, or you're so focused on not trying to make mistakes, you don't really enjoy it. But you know, it, it kind of passed me by, and I can't remember a lot of the game. I've tried to watch little snippets on on, on YouTube. Um, and do you know, I can't even, I can't remember how many times I touched the ball at hand. I reckon that it was almost only just a hand, uh, just a handful. So I did make a great impression that day, and um, that's probably part of the disappointment of playing um, and and losing as well. You know, it's. You know, it's always a privilege to play in these games, but when you lose. Um, it still hurts, regardless of you know whether you feel um, you've done well to get there to a final. I, I, I don't tend to re- remember the games we lost. Yeah, I mean, it was an incredibly strong Rangers team uh, who who would go on to do very well in the European Cup. Well, sorry, the first iteration of the Champions League, uh, and I think that was a treble winning season for them. They, so. beat, they beat Leeds as well, didn't they? They beat the, the English champions, yeah. which was, you know, which gave Scotland a, a huge. Um, recognition for for the, this level and standard of football. Um, yeah. No, I think you, you were playing in an era when, I can't remember if the English clubs were back in Europe or not, but top English players were still coming up here, whereas yeah. now we would, Rangers and Celtic would struggle to get championship players to come up. So uh, it was a much, much stronger time for, for Scottish football. Um, right, we, we can't talk about your time here without talking about how it ended uh, and um, it's more stark than I realised when, when I did my research for this. So uh, I'll give you a potted version and, and you can build on it. But this is pre the Bosnian changes days when uh, when a football player, they give you a three-year contract. At the end of that contract, though, you're not a free agent in the modern sense. They hold your registration and they can refuse to let you transfer to another club until they've paid for that registration. And then it's like, they can just make a, a number up is, uh, is what I get from it. So looking at your other interviews, you were, and I didn't realise this, which is what makes it so stark, training with Queen's Park Rangers, um, they were desperate to sign you uh, and it was just really down to a question of the number. Uh, and then Adrian did the, the, the dirty on you. I mean, is that, as a potted history, is that pretty accurate? Absolutely spot on. Um, I mean, I didn't know, would you... <laughs> Gosh, where do I start? But yeah, you summarised it brilliantly. Um, would I have come to Scotland had I known that in Scotland it was slightly different from England? At the end of your contract in England, if a club failed to pay you, you become a free agent. Airdrie had stopped paying me, although they'd offered me a new contract that I had refused to, to accept. It was less money than I, than I had been on two years previously at Bristol City. I'd taken a cup, by the way, to come to Scotland initially um, from Bristol City. Um, because I wanted, I wanted to come up to Scotland. I wanted to play games. I had, a, I had faith in my ability. I wanted to go back to um, England uh, in the long run, um, and, and the club knew that. Uh, so when they they offered me the contract and I turned down, I agreed to play 
month to month for the next season um, until I, I got my move. But at the end of that season, um, I asked a simple question to George Pete, how much did he want for me? If I could find a club, uh, I sent out a few um, feeders out in England and Jerry Francis came back because um, he was the Bristol Rovers manager when I was at Bristol City um, and said, uh, why don't you come join us for pre-season? And um, George Pete said 75, 80 grand um, when, when I, I came to leave. And as soon as he found out it was a Premier Division club, um, he asked for uh, about 120. So Jerry Francis said, you know, please stay with us. Um, I'm sure we can chisel this out. I'm sure we can do a deal. Um, you know, you're entitled to a free. They've stopped paying you anyway. Um, Jerry Francis didn't quite understand that they could quite stop paying me and still retain my registration. Um, and didn't really want to get involved. It wasn't his place to get involved. He couldn't believe someone could behave so so badly um, and leave someone without any wages, yet still hold their registration. And in the end, um, they got frustrated with waiting. And um, next thing I knew, I was, uh, I don't know, I think I was in the wilderness. Um, I think I, I went back to Bristol City because they had me back. And I, I think I then got a phone call from Party Fissaway. Um, John had gone. Um, and uh, was manager of Partick Thistle and they invited me back up. But by which stage, I think my, my, my patience had gone. Um, I, it was a really difficult time. I, I had a mortgage to pay. I had, I had all kinds of outgoings. And um, it now painted me as if I was some kind of rebel because I was standing up for my, my, my rights. Um, and needless to say, you know, the law changed pretty pretty swiftly, well, it didn't, didn't change pretty swiftly. It took two years to change with the Bosman case, and um, by which stage I'd been um, let down by the Scotch PFA, who had then pulled out all the, uh, all the financial help and all the solicitors. I then taken on my own solicitor. Um, it was just a complete farce, and uh, I kind of lost my enthusiasm for playing a little bit after that, and wanted to be um, in charge of my own destiny. You're, you're powerless here, so you're not getting paid. Uh, you can't force a club to pay the, the figure that Adrian's asking for you. Who, who are you able to speak to? You? Uh, so you can speak to the PFA, but uh, okay, they, and they've helped you up to a point and then pulled the, pulled, or they haven't helped you at all? He was awful. The guy, that, I, can't, I can't remember his name, the head of the, the Scottish FA, he, he was like, oh, we love you. You know, this is a, a GMB case. We're all, we're all about being militant and strong for the workers. And three months later, he was going, oh, we can't be bothered with this case. We're not going to get anywhere with this. And just, drop, and just drop me. And I, so I, I, I had to go no win, no, no fee. Um, and it was, just, it was just the most painful experience. It just felt so wrong um, how you can, I mean, a footballer's career is very short. Um, you know, if you can exaggerate a, a year in a footballer's life by four times, that's the average working person's life. And, and in those days, we weren't earning enough money to to um, make our lives uh, comfortable after playing or finishing football. So every season or even every month is valuable. And Airdrie stole two years of my, or not Airdrie, George Pete stole two years of my life and two years of my career. And I was never the same player really after well, I mean, you said that at this point, Queen's Park, let's not forget, sort of Queen's Park Rangers are uh, in the Premiership and what, due to play 
and they did Old Trafford on yeah, that first game of the season. Yeah. And, and and the right back, believe it or not, was a guy called David Bardsley, and his wife went into labour on the Friday night. And Jerry Francis says, if we can get this sorted, you're playing at Old Trafford tomorrow. I'm marking Ryan Giggs. Yeah. I mean, I, part of me said, no, please, David. Uh, <laughs> Please don't go to the birth of your wife. Um, and the other side of me was going, yeah, let's get this deal sorted out. And the two clubs couldn't get it resolved. It was just soul destroying. How far did your legal action get? Because I've read that it was kind of it was going to be you or Bosman whose case yeah, got to they, well, first. We, I, I met I met Bosman in. Um, we flew out to Brussels and we met the same um, the same sister. And Bosman's case was a few months ahead of mine. Um, and you know it's all again very vague all the all the details but he beat me to court by about three or four months in the end by which stage Airdrie then gave me a free by which stage no one wanted me because they didn't really understand the full circumstance excuse me the full circumstances behind my um my contract dispute no club in England could believe what was going on north of the border they, they'd never even heard of it they didn't even they they didn't realize that a club in Scotland could behave in such a bad way. And, it, you know, and I had to explain myself over and over again because even the press didn't understand the story. I, I remember a guy from The Guardian ringing me and they were, they were gobsmacked that it could happen. I mean, in, in this more um, understanding world, I think if I brought it up in a subject um, in a newspaper or in a, a radio show, I think, that, you know, they would be all over it. They'd be trying to work work hard for the working man as, as, as we were. But in those days, it was like you were seen as a footballer. You know, you seemed to be privileged and better off than the, the general public. And there was no sympathy for me or, or for anyone in the football world, really. And, I mean, your problems are further compounded then by Airdrigo Bust. Uh, uh, so, so you can't even bring a case against uh, a company that's, that's no longer around it. And, I mean, that's... It's a kind of guilty conscience as a fan that yourself, uh, the way that this has ended is, is very bad. Also, all these guys who you've mentioned, Sandy Stewart, Jimmy Sanderson, guys who have stayed around forever, don't get testimonials, don't get wages. Uh, they're still getting letters from KPMG to this day telling them, oh, uh, the, the chances of your money being recovered are, are unlikely. Um, just a little way for it all to, to end. Still get, at least they're still getting letters, but I never knew any of that. That's the first I've heard that. I didn't know what happened to the other lads. I, I kind of divorced myself away from the whole Airdrie thing and tried to focus my mind on other things. But that's the first I've ever heard of that. And I'm sorry to hear that the other boys were badly treated as well. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, I know you've mentioned this in the past as well, uh, you, us, all these other players have to watch George Pete suddenly put on a Stenhouse Muir blazer, uh, appear at UEFA draws, high up in the SFA, um, despite the fact that he was, what, presumably he was just unblinking in his belief at that time of, no, no, we're due a fee and, and, and that's it. I, I, I don't know what to say. I, apart from one day, I, I rang him one night and I rang his own house. And I was, it was 10 o'clock at night and I was past my wit's end. I was, I was so, so destroyed about what a fellow human was trying to do to someone else. I felt the guy was cruel. I felt the guy had a son of about my age or maybe younger. And I asked him how he would feel if he was treated in the same way. And he just shrugged it off. And I could just see him smoking his big fat cigar at the time, thinking, you absolute pig. 
Yeah. You, have, you know, his lack of respect for the average or normal person was just, it was shocking and embarrassing. And um, as you said, when, when I saw him, I, I, I didn't know what had happened to him thereafter. I, I had no idea he was at the SFA and he was now, you know, in the inner circle. But when I saw, um, when it was brought to my attention by one of the, the press guys, um, Bill Leckie, um, that he was at the SFA, it was, there's, there's no fairness in the world, really. He never deserved another job in football, let alone at the SFA. And it was, it, it, it's an embarrassment. He's an accountant who's uh, been in charge while a, a club's gone bust, uh, and, and that's rewarded. You feel up the way. It's, it's, it's quite unbelievable. Where, uh, where, where, where did all the money go? I mean, I, I, I would love to know more. I, you know, I know they, they built a, a nice new ground from from the cellar of Broomfield, and but where did all the money go? Yeah. You've got to ask yourself. I mean, he is an accountant. He's not being charged. You know, I. As I mentioned to you, I'm, I'm building some properties in Bristol. I know where every penny goes. Um, he's meant to be on the ball. Anyway, I, I don't want to... I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to cost, you, cost you too much. Look, I mean, I think, I think the thing I would take from what Chris is, because uh, I know from your other interviews, that's what made you buy the two ESO garages and, and things have worked out well, which is which is great. But thinking about it nowadays and the focus that's on mental health and the place that that must have put you in, um, it's just, I can't believe how, how bad it is. And I think it's a shame because nowadays, social media for all its faults, uh, the, the fans would have had better information. And I think we could have we could have acted to, if, if we could suddenly stay out of um, one home game, I think it would have focused minds. But, but as you say, you're reliant on the media to get across a complex story that they just couldn't understand understand and um, so so yeah it happened at the worst of times and I, and I also know from your other interviews that you then start training with was it Cardiff and, and have a bad leg break at the same time so just nothing went for you around that period in your life I went I went back to Bristol City because I just I it was it was home it was home and, and I, I was well respected and I was still well liked and they were brilliant with me and I was training with them one day and my foot went down uh, my leg went down a hole where the goalpost had been and I snapped my leg in at, at right angles. So I fought my way back from that injury and I got a phone call um, about two weeks before I was really properly fit from Cardiff. And they said, come and, come and play for us. Um, we're in Division 4 or Division 3 or whatever it was at the time. And I was literally playing with a caliper on my leg just to see. I wasn't fit. No one near fit. And they still, they still offered me a contract. <laughs> and uh, Terry Orff was manager and he was great he was another Terry Cooper he was another Alec McDonald he was old school but he had a big heart and he was lovely and uh, his, he had a consortium that was about to buy Cardiff and I was meant to sign a new contract with the club on the Friday and his consortium fell through and I turned up for, train, uh, for the game on the Saturday and I was told I was no longer needed because I was one of Terry's players and I still had a week on my my three-month contract left and I was asked to leave yet the day before I was about to sign a, a new two-year contract and I just thought this cannot keep happening to me and I just thought I've either walked under too many ladders or I've, I've, I've fallen over too many black cats or something like that I just thought I've got to take my life in my own hands and that's when I came out of football really. After your time at Airdrie, though, you do go on to play, eventually, despite all that happened, you go on to play, and you've mentioned that you play in a final at the, the old Wembley. Uh, I mean, you've, you've achieved 
a lot in your career. What was the final at, at Wembley like? You've ticked off the two main grounds in, in Scotland and England. Yeah, so there's not many Bristolians who can say they've done that. I mean, it's great. It, you know, I, I, as I said, I feel really privileged. Um, I, I went and joined Little Forest Green. I mean, you think Airdrie's a small town. Forest Green has got a population of 4,000. It's a tiny little place on top of a hill. Um, they were playing local football until 20 years ago, and um, or maybe 25 years ago. And I joined them, and they they had a, a load of vex Bristolian uh, ex professional footballers in their in their ranks, and I think I was the last one to join. And we just we just flew through the leagues. Um, ended up at Wembley. They're now in the Football League, um, and hoping to move um, move grounds to a purpose built uh, stadium um, near the motorway off the M5. Um, it's it's a, it's a really romantic story, and it's. Uh, it's very much like the Airdrie story, and it, and it, you know, as a summary of life, really, it, it kind of brought my whole football career full circle because I now was in a dressing room full of lovely guys who I'm still in touch with. It reminded me so much of the Airdrie boys who I had the privilege to play with, and it was the right place for me, really, just to finish. I was 32, 33, got myself fit, um, and just enjoyed football for what it was, the pleasure of playing, the pleasure of being in other men's company and having a laugh and a giggle and um, uh, and just playing a, a relatively reasonable standard of football. Um, so I felt really lucky to really go there and uh, when they decided they were going to go professional, I, 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 it was time for me to leave because I have other business interests outside the game. The, the forest green are the hipster's choice now. The the, the owner with these uh, vegan beliefs and um, the the wooden stadium that they're building is a really really interesting story. Um, so you were obviously in there in there early on, uh, and it's great. But it's great to see a, a football club growing in that direction because far too often it's, it's the other way around. Um, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. I'm sorry I've taken up so much of your time when you when you're so busy. Um, I I really hope that uh, I I know that I think you were penciled in to come up at the end of last season when they were going to have a bit of a reunion it would be great, great to see you and, and all your former teammates uh, around at an event with fans, it would be great to just go and meet with more than six people at the moment So I know, it's mad isn't it Yeah, but uh, I think best of luck with all your, your interests, it's great to hear how well you've done beyond football, um, given the, the rough hand that you, you were dealt um, but, but yeah, thank you for your time and look forward to seeing you at some point hopefully in the future yeah, thank you very much. I mean, again, you know, you, every single, you know, bad experience, you, you have to turn it around. And, you know, I had some wonderful experiences up in Scotland, especially those those first two or three years. Um, they, they did sour towards the end, but it's made me a better person, a stronger person. And I, and I generally enjoy myself as much as I can because you never know what's around the corner. And um, that's what that experience in Scotland taught me. And I, I, I just feel a really lucky guy. And, uh, you know, any of your supporters in Airdrie, if they want to get in touch with me, I'm on Facebook and I just wish the whole of I look for your results every Saturdays, guys. You know, I, I saw you had a, a fantastic result of the weekend, a big win. Was it 5 0? 5 0 against Clyde, yeah. Yeah, amazing result. And um, I just thought, you know, it'd be nice to see that club up, up, up a little bit higher up the league. And um, I know a few of my former colleagues have been managers and uh, I, I'd love to know what they're up to. And I can't wait to come up and visit everyone. No, great. Where can we find you on Facebook, Twitter? Do you know what, what we're searching for if we want to add you? 
Um, you can find me probably at Honor Properties um, if anyone wants to look. I've, I've had a few inquiries from a few Airdrie fans, so my name must have been being thrown around in conversation. Alan Lawrence is out there a, a bit, and I see um, Big Jock Stewart's on it as well. Um, yeah, just get in touch with me, come and say hi, and uh, I hope everyone's really well and everyone remembers some great memories from sort of 25, 30 years ago. And get yourself on the Airdrie Facebook page because that's probably the the place where the, the, the supporters congregate most these days. So it'd be great to see your name pop up there as well. Okay, fantastic. Thanks very much. Thanks, Chris. Please comment. Thank you.